Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle. I am your gracious and humble host, Jonathan Wiegand. Thank you for tuning into the program today or streaming it wherever you are across the Alpha Quadrant. And today, have we got a show for you. I'm sure as you already can tell by the title, this is something that is unusual for OPP. But I just wanted to get back to my roots. You know, I wanted to get back to my roots. I wanted to do fun interesting topics that I have thought about, that I've debated with friends about, and today we're doing just that. We are boldly going to a galaxy far, far away. I am beyond excited. This was a pleasure to do, and boy, it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to ruffle any feathers in the Star Trek world, but who cares? I mean, I don't get paid to do this. This isn't something, a career. This is something I do for fun because I'm crazy. Anyway, I know most of you, most Trekkies out there, dabble across the aisle. We're not completely passionate about just Trek. We usually like maybe Babylon 5, maybe some maybe some Star Wars sprinkled in. You know, we like to have a, a buffet of sci-fi and fantasy. And there's nothing wrong with that. I will say this. There is a majority of Star Wars information in this episode, more so than Trek. Because if you're a, a lifelong listener of the program, which is I think it's like 10 months now, We've covered this topic many times, whether it's politics, the history of Star Trek, how it got to where it is. So I'm going to do some highlights. But for those of you that aren't really familiar with Star Wars, really going to go into the history, how it was formulated. And that's what we're going to be covering today's show is kind of the foundations of the franchise and kind of what stories are they trying to tell. So we're going to cover that today. And I'm more than excited to introduce the crossover episode of Star Wars and Star Trek. Hello there. Like I mentioned last week's episode, where did the inspiration for this episode come from? And it really came from I was, I think it was talking on the roundtable after we recorded some of the roundtable episodes, um, talking to my buddy Alan, and and he, we we're just shooting back and forth, and then I started seeing this Uber Eats commercial, which just really makes me mad <laughs> because it has Mark Hamill and Sir Patrick Stewart, and they're arguing about what they're going to eat, and they're insulting each other, and it, and when the fir- commercial first came out, there was this huge uproar of like they should do a crossover, and I said that is the worst idea ever. And that is basically the foundation for this whole series is proving why a Star Trek Star Wars crossover would be be a terrible idea and something I wholeheartedly disagree with. I could see them doing it just for a payday and because they know they would have both franchises in the bag to tune in. And I mean, they might. I don't know. You never know. I mean, they did make the Star Wars Christmas special for a quick buck. And look at that. We got Life Day and we got these terrible... Wookie languages segments. And speaking of Christmas season, if you haven't gone out and watched that illegally torrented movie, 
I strongly recommend it, but make sure you watch it with friends because to watch it alone, that's a, that's a lot to ask of somebody. <laughs> We're going to prove this whole thesis of mine that a crossover shouldn't work by diving deep into the pillars of both franchises and show the differences of them and kind of why they would never work. And I mean, you have to remember there are college courses taught on the philosophy, the allegories, and the themes that Star Wars represents. It's a very thick subject, but I'm excited. So let's get into it, y'all. So the first subjects we're going to talk about in today's episode is kind of the foundations of both franchises, why they came together, who created them, as we know, George Lucas and Gene Roddenberry, but also what was their motivation? What were they trying to tell, trying to convey? And we find out Again, kind of go against my thesis, but I go where the truth lies is that they had a lot of similarities between them. But at the end of the day, the crossover wouldn't work. And we're going to eventually prove that probably over three episodes, I think. And not just because these Romulans are isolationist, but because it's a very sci-fi and fantasy are very different. And that is ultimately what would make the marriage fail and not work. But before I get into the breakdown of Star Wars and Star Trek, I kind of want to give you a background information about me and how I perceive both franchises. So you can tell, okay, he's being biased or this is kind of the lens that Jonathan is using. Now, I will say this. I first watched Star Wars, A New Hope, when I was five years old. My mother was a paralegal. And some other kids brought in a those old VHS kind of TVs. <laughs> and we watched A New Hope with about three other kids and they're older kids and they're by older, I mean, they were like seven or eight. And I remember the cantina scene. Bum, 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 bum. And I was like, wow, this is cool. I want to learn. And then you got lightsabers and the Falcon. And I was I was hooked. And I was five years old. And so ever since then, I've been in love with Star Wars. It came at the right time. 98 was Phantom Menace. And then so I grew up with just this, this love of Star Wars. It is my baby. And lead a lot of people to ask, why create a Star Trek podcast? And I love Trek, but Star Wars is kind of like, it's my love. Star Trek is my work, you know? Like, I love Star Trek. It's so great. The stories are awesome. But to me, it's it's just not that first love. So I didn't want to ruin, potentially ruin my first love by making a podcast about it at least once a week, you know? So that's why I went with Star Trek. And with Star Trek, it was a little bit different. Um, in college, I got onto it because I we roomed with this older guy. He was like 33 at the time. And we we're like all in our early 20s. And he was into it. And I watched a couple episodes with him. And then like it was a crazy, like one crazy summer that was kind of like half living alone in the dorm. And during the summertime, so I was like, all right. So I got really into it and started doing a whole series watch. It was great. And I loved it. It got really turned on to it. And I still am to this day. And Heck, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> That's just kind of like the lens and my bias is coming through. I didn't want to hide that. I didn't want to be like, oh, well, he's going to be all 100% pro Star Trek and he's going to just trash Star Wars. No, 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 not the case. And not even the flip. Not going to be 100% Star Wars. I'm just going to present the information as is. And there's a lot of fun facts, especially with the historical and political impl implications that I'll talk about today. You will be blown away. But first, let's get into Star Wars and kind of the history behind it and why and how it was created. This is where the fun begins. So philosophy 
and the need to understand our personal journeys in this world has always been a human need. We've always loved to tell our story and to push beyond, to become quote-unquote explorers, not only physically, but internally as well. And you're looking no further than the Odyssey to Beowulf. It's something the human nature, human desire causes us to do. And so while Star Wars might take place in this grandiose universe in a galaxy far, far away, this great epic actually has super deep philosophical and historical ties and themes that we find in literature, mythology, history, and I mean, religions around the world, some would say. So we're going to take a stab at just today. We'll cover mythology, literature, and religions in other episodes, but today we're going to study one big thing between the two franchises, historical slash political, and the hero's journey between two. And the granite, there's a lot of similarities in this first episode, but I promise you, doing show prep, it is not in the others. <laughs> so I don't want you to get on your high horse and be like, see, there should be a crossover. No, there shouldn't be a crossover. This is just showing, okay, the sci-fi fantasy franchises do have a lot in common in the foundation. But how do you build a house? Build a big, strong foundation. And that's what Roddenberry and Lucas both did here. So I love this quote by Lucas, and I try to find it in audio form, but I couldn't, so I'm going to read it to you guys. He says, I love history. So while the psychological basis of Star Wars is mythological, the political and social basis are historical. And that is one thing I've always loved about Star Wars was a historical illusion and analogies that it presents. And we're going to ram through a couple of these. And if you're a Star Wars fan, buckle up because this is a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I, and I thought I, I mean, I watched Star Wars since I was five. I've, I've watched enough YouTube videos on the subjects and theories that I thought I would hear all this, but I didn't. So even if you find a nugget, enjoy yourself because this is a lot of fun. So first, the historical similarities that Lucas used was, of course, the comparison between the empire and Nazi Germany. This is one of the most famous and well-known allegories out there. And I mean, the stormtroopers even share the same name, Stormtrooper. <laughs> so he didn't really try to hide it too much. And I mean, even with the name of Stormtroopers, the Imperial officers' uh, uniforms and even Vader's helmet resemble those by the Germans in World War II. And, um, but it just seems like, okay, so he's trying to come up with this evil empire kind of related to Nazi, the ultimate bad guys. And fun fact, this isn't in my notes, but I just know this. Um, in Barcelona, there is a cathedral there called La Sangrada Familia. Now, it is one of the most beautiful cathedrals in the world. I've been to a lot of them, and I would say this is one of my favorite in the world. And not only because of the architectural and religious um, symbolism of the church, but there are these Roman soldiers behind a crucified Christ and the Roman soldier's helmets look a lot like stormtrooper helmets. And our tour guide said that that could be one of the many inspirations for Lucas because there was an artist in Barcelona called Gaudi. He had many of these stormtrooper inspiration pieces, one at his house and then some of uh, Sangrada Familia. It was super cool. So Google it and you won't be disappointed, <laughs> but I'm getting way off base. I just wanted to share that fun fact. But I mean, there's there's several bullet points about Nazi Germany and, and Star Wars. 
I mean, for example, the gradual rise of Palpatine and from Chancellor to Emperor, I mean, identically mirrored Adolf Hitler's similar political ascent from Chancellor to Dictator. And this is one I didn't know. So in the original 1977 A New Hope, where Princess Leia awards um, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo medals, and all the soldiers stood at attention, actually was inspired by the 1935 propaganda film Triumph of the Will and the Nuremberg rallies that they used to hold. So I didn't know that, and that was pretty crazy. And I'm sure there's a dissertation out there that you could get into the super deep uh, similarities between Nazi Germany and the Empire, and I'm sure somebody has done that. But for me, in this podcast, we will just do those quick four bullet points because we have a lot to cover. Another really interesting thing that I had no idea about, and there was a great, great story behind this, and this is a more recent American history, and this is what translates more closely to Star Trek because Roddenberry was trying to convey and tell stories of modern times in a futuristic setting, and and Lucas somewhat did that with this president. So, so all there, there have been parallels between, I mean, Emperor Palpatine and, I mean, we just mentioned dictator like Hitler or um, Napoleon, the direct inspiration. I'm talking direct inspiration for the Star Wars most evil antagonist was actually an American president. And no, I'm not talking Trump. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> this was back in the 70s. <laughs> So according to J.W. Reinsler's book, The Making of Star Wars Return of the Jedi, when asked if Emperor Palpatine was a Jedi during like a 1981 story conference, Lucas actually responded, no, no, my good friend. He was a politician and Richard M. Nixon was his name. Lucas is saying that Nixon subverted the Senate and eventually took over and became an imperial president. And he was really evil, but he pretended to be a really nice guy, a.k.a. Chancellor Palpatine. Seemed like a really nice guy, seemed to really help, all the while being evil, consolidating power, and eventually took over and became emperor. Now, for those of you that aren't really up to date on American history, Richard Nixon was the president that um, the Watergate scandal happened. But Nixon also did a lot of good, too. Like, he opened relations with China got us off the gold standard, which I don't know if that's a good thing, but anyway, that's not <laughs> that economic uh, rabbit hole we will not cover here. He was known, most known, as an imperialist president. And there's a great line between when Nixon was being interviewed by this journalist named Frost, and Nixon responds, if the president does it, it's not illegal. So Nixon thought he was above the law, he was greater, and he subverted power whenever he could. And that is where Lucas, accordingly to this book and J.W. Reinsler, said that Lucas got a majority of his inspiration from. And if you don't believe me, you say, Jonathan, that is a one-off, random thing. Don't believe it. I will say this to you, good friend. In 2005, an interview published in the Chicago Tribune, Lucas even said that he conceived Star Wars as a reaction to Nixon's presidency. Oh! <gasps> My gosh. <laughs> and this is a direct quote. It was really about the Vietnam War. And that was the period where Nixon was trying to run for a second term, which got me to thinking historically about how democracies get turned into dictatorships. Because the democracies aren't overthrown, they're given away. 
Wow. Powerful quote by the master rhyme maker, George Lucas. Okay, Luna, you can do it. She's been asking. Do the Padme quote. Do the Padme quote. So this is how liberty dies. With thunderous applause. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Every presidential election, I see that quote pop up on my Facebook. Whether you're right or left, it's just, it's for sure fire away. That bad boy is coming up there. So, um, okay, so Nixon was a big inspiration for Papa Palpatine. Good to know, good to know. And so when we talk about Nixon, you have to understand the historical scope and what was happening around Lucas when he was creating Star Wars for the first time. One of the greatest political kind of inspirations so far that I learned, this is new to me, is that the guerrilla warfare waged by the Rebel Alliance against the Galactic Empire mirrored the battle between an insurgent force and a global superpower that was, as you probably already can guess, played out in Vietnam as Lucas wrote Star Wars. So you have this you have this Nixon component, you have this Vietnam component, so it's all kind of being circled around Lucas as he's formulating Star Wars. And, and it's actually a really cool fact is that the filmmaker who was originally set to direct the Vietnam film or Vietnam classic Apocalypse Now in the early 1970s before moving on to Star Wars said in audio commentary on the 2004 re-release of Return of the Jedi that the Viet Cong served as an inspiration for those lovable furry for those lovable furry forest dwelling Ewoks. Say that five times fast. And they who were able to defeat a vastly superior opponent in spite of their primitive weapons. Now, as we also learn in a book called Star Wars and History by William J. Astor, he writes that both the Viet Cong and the Ewoks were well served by the superior knowledge of the local terrain and the ability to blend into the terrain. So Basically, the Viet Cong were an inspiration for the Ewoks, which is crazy. Now, if you don't think that's terrifying, let me say, whether you have it at home or you can go Google it and watch it on YouTube, watch the Star Wars Battlefront, the newest one, and do the Ewok Endor Night level. Freaking terrifying. (laughs) Because you're a stormtrooper in the dark, and then you have all these Ewoks running around, blowing their little horns, and then stabbing you. That is, it was, it's terrifying. I'm not big into horror, but it was enjoyable, but also freaking terrifying. So, um, crazy inspiration there. Again, something you wouldn't necessarily think about, but now all the pieces make sense. So we got two big historical analogies before we get into the Star Trek kind of comparison and and historical allegory. I'm not going to just want to say that because I know we're probably close to about 25 minutes in now. So I don't want you to think, when is he going to (laughs) stop? Don't worry. It's got a couple more. And some of them are more like famous ones, like, for example, Ancient Rome. And again, the same guy that wrote Star Wars and history. The architecture of Naboo, Planet Naboo, totally resembles Imperial Rome. And even like you could make the argument that the pod racing in Phantom Menace rivals that of a Roman chariot race that we see in Ben-Hur. So I think that's like... Really cool. And when he saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You know, like, and slaves could get an opportunity to to win their freedom and, and, and kind of make a name for themselves, whether in the gladiator arena or on those massive cherry races that they used to have. Not only can we see the transition from democratic galactic republic to the dictatorial galactic empire or the course of a franchise, we also see it 
that it mirrors ancient Rome too, as well as Nazi Germany. And again, the same book, Star Wars and History, is a plain that the basic structure of Lucas's history derives from the fall of the Roman Republic and the subsequent establishment of a monarchy slash empire. So Lucas has is pulling from a lot here to create his world and his big baddies. And, and this is a fun fact. I didn't really even think about this, but this is interesting. And again, same book, Star Wars and History. When was the last time I plugged it in? <laughs> is that while the elite Jedi who are guardians of, of peace and justice in the Galactic Republic bear super striking similarities to Japanese samurai and monks, but also the monastic military order of the Knights Templar. And that these Templars, writes Macmillan, is that we're esteemed above all other knights for the austerity, devotion, and just like the Jedi, they practice individual poverty within a military monastic order that commanded great material resources. I mean, you could even get down to the nitty gritty of Jedi and the Templars had the same 12-member council of elders, like the Jedi Council and the Knights Templar Council, and they even wore similar clothing. The Jedi clothing with the robes, they go over your head, and it's kind of almost a monastic sort of way. So, I mean, there is a big similarity between the Templars and the Jedis, but also, this was great, and I didn't know this at all, is that much like the Great Jedi Purge, Order 66 by Chancellor Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith, France's King Philip IV annihilated the Knights Templar after arresting hundreds of them on October 13, 1307, and subsequently tortured and executed them for heresy, which is where we get 13, like Friday the 13th. That's where one of the historical reasons where it came from. Fun fact. <laughs> we can see where Lucas is using a lot of pools from history to kind of build this world. But now we're going to switch to the Star Trek comparison. And if you haven't listened to our great, great series, Chaos on the Bridge, I think it's a two-part series, and then an episode called Politrex on OPP, we'll go into a little, we go into a little bit more of the the drama and of TNG, how it was set up, and also get into Roddenberry's personal theories and envisions on Politrex, go into the political allegorical and the Cold War and things like that. We'll talk about it in a little bit. And I mean, even though Star Trek is very future-based, 21st century, very fundamental, this is where we want humanity to be, it also has a bridge to the past. By commenting, especially, this is mainly TOS. TNG, not so much. TNG is more of the vision and thesis that Roddenberry wanted to portray the world as, as in TOS is more of a allegorical sci-fi and some of the best that were made. And so Star Trek, even though it was a vision of Roddenberry, who was friends with R.L. Hubbard, that should tell you anything, wanted to convey timely messages, but through a lens of sci-fi and entertainment and comment on world events. Now, you could say, who did that better? Was it Roddenberry or was it Lucas? I definitely think just to convey the message, it was definitely Roddenberry. However, you could say the constraints and the overall themes I mean, when you have movies compared to hour-long shows, it's much easier to convey messages quickly through TV shows and his movies. So it's kind of an unfair comparison. Apples and oranges, again, why the crossover wouldn't work. <laughs> and to give you just a little background here, 
Um, if you haven't listened to the Chaos on the Bridge episode, just give you a quick filler. Um, basically, TOS and TNG both illustrate the two different Roddenberry. So TOS, the original series, is about this young cowboy diplomacy, shoot him up, make out with aliens type of Roddenberry that he made, I think, in his 30s and 40s. While it's TNG, the next generation, is about this wise old captain in the sky delegating wisdom and giving out moral reasoning to his crew and to people that he interacts with. So the problem with TNG was that Roddenberry wanted it to be, again, like a thesis, but there was no drama between the main characters. You couldn't have any character drama, and it was incredibly hard to write. Um, A lot of writers quit. I think 30 writers and staff members left within the first year, and Gene Roddenberry constantly changed scripts at the last moment. They were like about to film, and he changed the scripts, and it was a super frustrating and hostile environment (laughs) to work in because Roddenberry was so adamant about his vision being portrayed in the way he wanted to. And if he continued to be on the show past season two, Star Trek would have eventually been canceled because it was awful those first two seasons. (laughs) Going back to the original series, this is where the historical analogies get a lot of fun, is that Roddenberry and his colleagues were actually World War II veterans whose country, the U.S., was now fighting this Cold War against a communist aggressor that they regarded with horror, a.k.a. you could make the allegory for the Romulans, for the Klingons, but mainly I always thought it was the Romulans were the Soviet Union, you know? These big, bad, secret organizations that somehow show up and disappear like the Tal Shiar, and that Western democracy was the only force holding back this totalitarian dictatorship of the Red Army. And if you think, Jonathan, you're way off your rocker, There's a literature professor, Paul Cantor, who observes in his essay, Shakespeare and the Original Klingon, James T. Kirk is a Cold War warrior, very much based on the model JFK. Roddenberry is using modern times to talk about the current state. And I mean, there's also so many things that Roddenberry discussed on TOS, like racism and especially with, uh, I forget the name of the episode, the people with the two different colored faces, one white and one black. And they hated the other part of their culture that had the wrong color and the wrong side of the face. And it was just very timely because it was basically saying without saying, hey, skin color doesn't matter. And that was very powerful back in the mid to late 60s. You have the first interracial kiss between Kirk and Uhura. So it's it's a very great message to very direct way. It's Star Wars is more of kind of, again, two different mediums, two different things, really hard to compare. But yeah, they they definitely have more alike in their creation of using historical references and trying to make a timely way of say things like, for example, Nixon and Palpatine. Another great example is that like in the episode, like the Omega Glory, in which Kirk rapturously quotes the preamble of the Constitution or in the episode Friday's Child, where he outwits the Klingon in negotiations of of resources on planet. That was um, kind of just like modeled after the Middle East petroleum states. And that Kirk fundamentally stood, even stubbornly, for the principles of universal freedom and against collectivism, ignorance, and passivity. When it's good sci-fi, it raises commentary on the current social structure, as with Star Wars, completely different animal, and it was great inspiration for characters, But that's not the story they're trying to tell. 
So there is some major differences between the two, but that ultimately, again, is what my main thesis is. Fantasy, sci-fi, just doesn't flow together. So to wrap it up really quick, I will say, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, there is one thing that, again, Star Trek and Star Wars does beautifully, and that is tell the hero's journey. They both have very different beginnings, very different continuations. It also comes down to what are the stories they're trying to tell and how do they accomplish that. The hero's journey between a sci-fi and a fantasy franchise, I mean, these are two massive different animals. But at the end of the day, the hero's journey is still the same. While Star Wars may do that in over a movie, Star Trek can do it within an hour. So tell the entire hero's journey multiple times as Star Wars is more of a elongated okay, this is going to be an epic hero's journey as opposed to a quick microwave version. So this is a quote from Lucas about how he came up and how he structured the hero's journey for Star Wars. In the three decades since I discovered the book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, it has continued to fascinate and inspire me. Joseph Campbell peers through centuries and shows that they are all connected by a basic need to hear stories and understand ourselves. As a book, it is a wonderful to read. As an illumination into the human condition, it is a revelation. So as I began the beginning of the podcast episode, talking about how Star Wars and Star Trek always tell a story about human exploration, human development, whether that's internal or external, and they do a great way. So the hero's journey is basically a synapsis of that all stories have beginning, middles, and ends. And that the hero's journey is is a lot like the journey of life itself. It's made up of three acts, and each act is made up of the steps of the journey that the hero must take to fulfill a goal or to rectify and bring him to wholeness again. So, you know, Lucas actually already written two drafts of Star Wars when he rediscovered Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces in 1975, having he read it years before in college. And the blueprint for the hero's journey gave Lucas the focus he needed to draw a sprawling imaginary universe into a one singular story about one singular character. So it's basically three big journeys. It's it's his departure, the initiation, and the return. And all three of those tie into creating the character to have wholeness and fulfillment again. What Lucas does, he tells just the hero's journey through Luke and how he eventually comes to reconciliation with his father, with his sister, and ultimately with himself and the Force. And we see that in Episode 6, beautifully done, and then again ruined in Episode (laughs) 7. Just kidding. Um, And that is vastly different to the Star Trek hero's journey. And this purpose of Star Trek was to encourage society to be the best it could absolutely be. So while Star Wars was more individually motivated... Star Trek had the broader term of saying like, hey, let society be the best it can be. And let's have this mythic purpose. Characters in Star Trek show us that. Finding themselves in circumstances where they must think, they got to evaluate, and they got to solve problems. And ultimately, they have to choose the better way, even if it requires sacrifice. And it's a struggle, the choosing and the sacrifice, that makes it truly heroic. The hero's journey can also be heartbreaking, as we saw with when Spock gave up his life in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and also when Luke is kind of at the very end of his his wits. He's hanging there, 
in Cloud City without a hand, and he's hanging there to die. And he calls out for Leia. So it is one of the best ways to tell the story. It's through the hero's journey. And again, the biggest difference between Star Wars and Star Trek, Star Wars can do it over a long, epic tale, and Star Trek can do it within quick, hour-long segments. And I mean, that's kind of what we do with both franchises. We learn along with them. We share their growth. And that's the role of the hero's journey mythology. It is to give us a better inspiration for how to act in our own personal lives. So um, that has been the first episode of Boldly Going Into the Galaxy Far, Far Away. All right. Hit it, Luna. covered a lot um got heavy near the end with all of the hero's journey and the comparison between the two but i mean like i said i'm just doing very skim work i mean there are literal college classes taught on this subject but next week should be a little bit more maybe just as heavy i don't know we're going to talk about um maybe science versus religion and kind of how they both play into the mythology of star wars and star trek and why the crossover would never work wowie wow wow so thank you guys so much for listening It was great. Definitely enjoyed it. And again, love talking with you guys about it. Definitely one of my um, favorite things to talk about and research so far on the show. Learned so much. And again, for a lifelong um, Star Wars fan, to learn new things about the franchise is always good. As always, you guys can reach us out to us on our social media pages on Instagram at Omega Particle Podcast and on Twitter at Omega Particle underscore. Feel free to reach out. I love talking with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. And always remember, second star of the right, straight on till morning.